Oh, let's break stage two down. Episode 12, it's April the 2nd, 2019. It's Lemmings, it's Jay Will, bringing you another episode. How you doing, Jay Will? Doing all right, buddy. How are you this week? I'm hanging in there, getting back into some cardiovascular exercise after the strength training has been completed. Don't remind me that class is real. Awful. (laughs) The pain is real. Before we break into this, I want to give my man's Jay Will. He gets he gets a minute to talk to us about how Thanos done snapped his fingers and removed ticketing from AMC. Ready, set, go. I'm gonna try to make this as quick as possible. Tickets released today for Avengers Endgame. Within five minutes of that release, AMC's entire website and app went down, and they were down for a good six, seven hours. And their solution was to go to Fandango or Adam. Oh, by the way, who can't connect to your servers right now because they're down in order to purchase tickets? I felt awful for everybody. I was furious myself. It was an awful experience just trying to get a few tickets so we could all go on opening weekend. But thank God that's over with. I can no longer have to think about that. AMC lost a lot of money today, though, because I know people were jumping to other movie chains or theater chains, I should say. It was pretty impressive. We were watching the Twitter feeds open up. A lot of great memes. I was reading uh, Fandango (laughs) and Adam beefed up their servers, but everything kind of pointed back to AMC if that's the theater that you wanted to go to. So at the end of the day, if you wanted an AMC theater, you, you just couldn't buy a ticket no matter how you got there. No, you couldn't. And for those of us who are A list members, like that that's our only option. We're already paying for it, so why would we pay to go anywhere else? I, I found people on Twitter at a regular rate that were like, yo, I couldn't use my A list membership, so I went to Cinemark, I went to Regal, <laughs> et cetera. And I was like, I don't blame you. I was I was ten minutes from doing that. Yeah. All right, with that out of the way, I just I wanted to give him a minute. Let it go. I just you know, we gotta get in the mindset. And let it fly a little bit. But this is the Let's Break It Down podcast. We are your all-time Overwatch League coverage podcast. This is episode number 12. We're going to be breaking into stage two. There's been a lot of changes, a lot of patches that are coming, some format changes, new map pools. We're going to run all that down. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. We are pretty active on the Twitter, I like to think. And you can find us at Break It Down OWL. That's also for Instagram and Facebook. You can connect with Brian directly on Twitter at jwill2287. If you're listening to this podcast and you have any questions, you want us to chase something down, you have an inquiry, send it to our email, breakitdownowl at gmail.com. Now that we've hocked our podcast to you guys, we have some news. I've got you on my radar. Air Zarya, we barely knew thee. <laughs> <laughs> Big news broke in the break in between stage one and stage two. Defran, big time DPS Zarya player for the Atlanta Reign, has retired from the Overwatch League. He only made it through one stage. Sad day. He did only make it through one stage. Seemed like he just wanted to do it, kind of to say he did it, but also I think he did want to do it personally. Not just to simply say he did it, but he misses streaming, obviously. He probably pulls in more money streaming, but it's sad to see him go from the league and be able to watch him on a almost weekly basis. Obviously, bye weeks come into play, but he will be missed by many. He's one of the fan favorites by far throughout the entire league. So I'll miss him. I'm sure you'll miss him. Arizaria misses him. It is what it is, though. 
best of luck to him. We'll keep watching on stream. So do your thing, DeFran. Yeah, for sure. I think this is an Overwatch League problem until they get a little bit bigger and those player contracts start looking a little larger. If you are a bigger streamer, you are pulling in an Overwatch League salary, a year-long salary in a month. So they got, you know, Soda popping in his prime, Dr. Disrespect, Shroud, some of those guys are pulling in what an Overwatch League player makes in about a month. And so even if you're kind of a middle streamer, the Sturs, the Hard Blues, and some of those guys, you're still probably pulling in more than an Overwatch League salary is actually paying you. It's You just have to balance whether or not you want to be on the big stage and competing at that level with the eight-hour practices and off-time control and film watching and preparation. Or are you willing to say, no, I'm willing to trade all that in for owning my own schedule, being my own boss, you know, being able to play different games without scrutiny? I think that's actually the bigger thing. A lot of the younger generation like to kind of, quote unquote, be their own boss. And yeah. especially when it comes to gaming and streaming, you you literally are free to do it whenever you want. You make the money based on how often you stream and you get to kind of make your own schedule. So that freedom being taken away does make a big difference when you now have to be obligated to somebody else. It changes just the way you feel about certain things. So I'm not overly surprised by people leaving to go back to streaming, especially after they've done it for so long. Another thing I saw, Shroud, you know, was doing a little biopic on Shroud. I just happened to stumble across on YouTube and they were talking about he got, how he got, you know, slammed for streaming PUBG on his stream while his team was going through a CSGO finals. Oh, you should be streaming only Counter-Strike. If you are a streamer and you want to stream something else, but you're still playing in the Overwatch League that opens you up to a lot of scrutiny from the internet community. To replace DeFran, actually not really to replace DeFran, the Atlanta Reign have signed... I, I put support in quotes because, let's be real, at this point, it feels like role definitions are kind of in the wind. <laughs> I mean, I sign you as a support and there you are playing Zari or something, but his name is Funny Astro. He is being promoted from the Atlanta Academy roster. And he's predominantly a Lucio and Mercy player. Take that for what you will. I don't think this is the replacement for DeFran. We will most likely see something more coming. And in typical Blizzard fashion for April Fool's Day, we had a couple good jokes come out for Overwatch League and for Overwatch in general. Uh, Overwatch League, we had jokes, uh, Jake getting traded to the Fuel, Pine to the Dragons. That was, I got a good <laughs> chuckle on that one. And a huge trade of Custa over to Boston for pretty much everybody so <laughs> it was i think they actually had gamsu in there which i'm sure was part of the joke because they don't have his contract anymore so right so that was that was all pretty funny and then overwatch league itself had a pretty fun little rhyme chat you would you go in and you could type in chat and then it would automatically add something to the end of it one of his voice lines or something you know crusader online or something like that some pretty good uh some pretty fun times for some april fool's jokes and that's all the news we have for today, which means we get to break into the main purpose of this episode. We're covering the changes that are going to be hitting the Overwatch League in Stage 2. Format changes. We have a new map pool. And then there are several patches that released in between. Well, actually, they released at the end of Stage 1, but they will be applied for Stage 2. We're going to break in first with some format changes. J-Will, we had an epic playoff breakdown at the end of stage one yeah, we sure and did. if anyone was following or watching or listening to the podcast we had some big problems with playoff seating being determined by a coin flip the worst idea they could have had other than reseeding the playoffs 
And not only was it just being decided by a coin flip, it was the worst coin flip that ever occurred. Uh, so I was watching it, and he, he flips it up. He just gets good, good distance, good spin, but it falls. He drops it. It doesn't fall into his hand. He drops it, and then he picks it up before the camera can actually see what it is. So he just kind of has to look at it and go, it was heads. It was heads. You saw that. It was heads. It's like this man's never watched an NFL game in his life. (laughs) So (laughs) Learn to flip the coin, bro. And don't go, Pittsburgh calls tails. It is tails. Detroit, would you like to receive? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Come on, man. We want the ball and we're going to score. All right, man. All right, Hasselbeck. All right. (laughs) But what that does mean is he apologized. He said, sorry for messing that up. And he's never going to decide anything that way ever again. So Too much pressure. they are back at Overwatch League headquarters working on some new tiebreakers because the situation arose where there's a ton of teams in that middle 4-3, 3-4 section. And some of them haven't played each other. In that regard, you don't have any map differentials or head-to-head map differentials that you can resort to. Or excuse me, you have map differentials. And if those are tied, then stuff goes into head-to-head stuff, but there are no head-to-head stats. So right. how do you break those out? Yeah, it's something they should have foreseen coming when they realize when when you realize the schedule comes out and you go, hey, not everybody plays each other, and there's a good possibility teams finish four and three together. Well, what do we do then? You should have had probably five, six tiebreakers ready to go. In all honesty, with probably head to head being one of the last ones, but they weren't prepared for it. Luckily, they learned quickly, and it, it's still a younger league, so you learn as you go a little bit. It it'll get itself worked out. I, I think <laughs> the whole thing is just funnier because. He didn't know how to handle a coin flip. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> Additional format changes are coming in the form of lengthened match times. Or really more so the acceptance of lengthened match times. Uh, so we talked about this being an issue that the matches were taking longer than they were scheduled. And some of those late matches weren't even starting until the next you know, next morning, essentially. And if you wanted to watch your team, that was going to be pretty tough, thinking that, oh, this is going to start at 2 o'clock in the morning or 1.30 in the morning, not even get started until then. So they've made some adjustments. At this time, they've only made the adjustment that they're admitting that it's true, and they've just changed the amount of time allotted. And actually, if you go look at their schedule, you'll see that the late game for Thursday and Friday has been bumped into Friday morning and Saturday morning, respectively. That only that's only for the eastern time zone though so realistically it's still the same day it's just those of us on the east coast have to suffer that's true east, eastern daylight time as with each stage change we also get a new map pool but not only do we get a new map pool in this case overwatch league is changing the order in which the maps are played so the stage one map rotation was control hybrid assault and then escort and in stage two they're going to be running Control Assault Hybrid Escort. So they're flopping the middle two, Assault and Hybrid. And they believe that this will reduce the likelihood that a match has already been determined essentially by halfway through the uh, used-to-be Assault map and is now the Hybrid map. Right, so the scenario you're running into quite frequently, to be perfectly honest, was a team going up 2-0 and all they would need is a draw in map three and you'd get to some certain points within that map of the assault and you'd realize that, okay, this team can just hold for a tie and they're good, the match is over, so fourth map doesn't matter even though it's only 2-0. So I actually really like this change. It's going to make the matches interesting after halftime no matter what. 
even if they tie on the assault map, which is now map two, at best it's going to be 1-0 and there's still a chance to get to 1-1 in map three because the chance of a tie on a hybrid or an escort is just so low. It, it happens so infrequently. I don't even recall when it last happened, to be perfectly honest. I like the the change. It means map four should mean something. Should a team go into halftime only up 1-0 or should you draw on the assault map like has been the case for enough enough times through stage one to make it a, a point of emphasis for the league. And as always, they'll be using whichever control was not used. They'll use those as tiebreakers. So those still exist. Yay. Moving into the actual rotation, we for the control maps, they are running Li Zhang, Oasis, and Busan. And we have swapped out Ilios and Nepal. So Ilios and Nepal are gone. I'm bringing in Oasis and Li Zhang. So we're losing boobs all over the place on Ilios. That's really the only downside to losing that. Li Zhang uh, can be quite perilous. To the it boobie. can be. It certainly can be. There's just not a big hole in the center of the map which is always funny to watch on well. <laughs> um, so that's really the, the one I'm referring to most, even though you can be booped off in plenty of places around all the maps, honestly. But Ilios is a, is a loss to me. I enjoy watching that map regularly. Nepal, meh. I'm actually glad to see Li Zhang Tower in there. I kind of wish they'd get rid of Busan. I really don't like the map. Really? But... I, I actually quite enjoy Busan. I think, it's the, I think it's one of the more dynamic. I think you have all all three kind of different types represented. You have a very deathmatch, you know, battle in the middle section, and they even added some some rising and falling uh, barriers to that. And then you have kind of the poop city on the edge, and uh, and then you kind of have a central, you know, point, you know, column in the middle battle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that one's kind of hard to explain. It's a big drum. Uh, it is quite annoying when a Lucio or a Diva just sits on top of the drum. They're actually pretty hard to get out of there. Yes, they are. I... I don't know. For a control map, I kind of like them to be smaller and more tight knit, especially when it comes to the point. But I just I don't like Busan in general. It just it doesn't flow with me for whatever reason. I mean, I'm sure the map is fine in the grand scheme of things. Right. Me personally, I would rather see Elios back in there over Busan. Moving into assault, we are getting rid of Horizon Loser Lunar Loser Call. <laughs> well, it might as well be Loser Colony because Loser Colony fails. But Horizon Lunar Colony and Volskaya Industries have been swapped out for Paris and Hanamura. And Anubis is carrying over from stage one. So we're getting the new map. We are getting the new map. Not a fan of the new map, though. Brief aside, I, really... I hate the new map. Well, it's terrible. Hate is strong. Point, hate point is strong. one. Point one is so bad, though. There like... is a heavy favoritism. So this this is how they balanced it out. Point one has pretty much exactly one route of approach mm -hmm. and it is a vicious chokehold and you can try and get some some pharaoh over the a little bit to the the left over the building but there's literally only one place to come through and they tried to balance that out by giving defenders an absolutely enormous walk to the point <laughs> so it, is a large walk to the point. <laughs> it means a lot if you as the offense can take a player out of a defensive player out it means a lot but it's ridiculously hard to do and we're going to talk about this in uh, our next episode in the meta expectations but i fully expect to see some bunker comps come out in this and i think those are going to be frustrating to watch try to break on paris it's and then when the points flip on offense, you have a ridiculously long walk to the point to actually try and take second point. So I'm 
I don't know why they decided we're going to make this gigantic map where we have this huge, you know, reset times. And I think for Overwatch League, it's going to mean even more because there are teams that just lose a player and reset straight up. Yeah. And it's just going to take time. You're just going to be sitting there watching. It's just going to be like Lord of the Rings 2 where we're just watching people walk for three hours. Maybe the the pros will surprise me, but I'm not expecting too many second point caps, at least not in a with a massive time link like we've seen. Yeah. throughout stage one i'm actually sad to see lunar colony go because we get some of the more cheesier compositions on that map volsky is what it is even though we got a lot of 411 on that map which was cool to watch too but you'll still get some of that on anubis we've definitely seen yeah. some anubis 411s on first point yeah I'm, I'm really glad to see anubis day i love that map through and through i do as well it'll create some pretty good time bank situations usually the team caps point one snowballs it into point two and then the stall out is all that matters on point two so it's really cool to watch that but paris is just not not for me not my um, favorite is kind of a 50 50 proposition for me hopefully it'll be more fun to watch than it is to play into the hybrid maps we are getting rid of hollywood and numbani which means we're adding in eichenwald and blizzard world good add on eichenwald Blizzard World is kind of eh for me as well. I think the map is fine itself. I just don't like playing it too much. Glad King's Row is not going anywhere. It means we'll see plenty of Zarya play still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually really like Blizzard World. I think it feels like one of the maps that just always has an alternate route to go. It can be really frustrating for defensive teams. Very true. I, think Very true. I don't think it plays particularly well in the Goats. I could be could be wrong. But it doesn't play well for we're going to hold this frontal line and, you know, but there's a lot of flanking opportunities. It actually has a really high skybox for Pharaohs. There's a lot of ways to get her up in the air and around and around choke points. There's not too many points on it that are ridiculously choky. There's one, obviously, kind of the first point one where you have to make it through the statue. But even then, there's there's paths around to the right and left for sneaky characters to make it through. So... I'm hoping it'll kind of force teams out of that goats predominance and and maybe get into some fun, you know, see some tracer play, see some some more somber play, stuff like that. So I think it'll be fun. I'm sure it'll be fun to watch. Having those alternate routes does make it a little more intriguing. It does open up other compositions because you don't have to butt heads with a goats team if that's what they decide to run on offense. So we'll see. I'm still not convinced that it's going to change too much. I mean, it, the alternate routes, you can just speed boost through them and then take your whole team through, and now you're behind the other team. You can force them to swap positions, and then once the defense is out of position, you just kind of keep rolling the card along and force them to have to come back to you. So we'll we'll see how it actually plays out. Me, personally, I'm just not the biggest fan of it. Like I said, the map is fine. I don't have anything specifically wrong with it. I just don't enjoy playing it too much. And last but certainly not least, into the escort maps, we are getting rid of Dorado and Route 66. We're bringing in Junkertown and Watchpoint Gibraltar, and we're keeping around Rialto. And if you guys watched the finals match, Rialto should stay. <laughs> I don't know about should stay, but it's certainly worth <laughs> worth keeping around over, I think, yeah, Dorado. That's the one I'm thinking of. I'm Dorado, fun to play, in my opinion. Not fun to watch. I'm glad to see it go. Route 66, meh. I could live with, could live without. Not going to be mad about that, even though that can get exciting. Mm-hmm. Really glad to see Junkertown in. I know not too many people are fans of it, especially that first point open area. I just think that one specifically will open itself up to more diff- more compositions. That one is just 
you can do so many different things with that map. Yeah, Junkertown is is a massive map, not necessarily from just distance, but just in terms of the 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 space that you have to work with in, right. in almost all in almost each phase is right. there's only one kind of you know alleyway type phase but even that one still has a lot of kind of side paths and it's got a huge skybox on it as well so yeah gibraltar is actually the interesting one out of that group because i don't know that too many people in the pro ranks like playing that map because that cap that first point cap is actually really difficult yeah so I'm not sure how how excited they'll be to see that. We could see a lot of first point holds or, you know, first point given up only just gets held, held up on the second point. You don't often see that map get completed even at the pro level. So it's kind of intriguing that they decided to go with that one. However, it could also be one of those situations where we want a winner or a loser, period. So, you know, that may be what they're aiming for, and that's going to work out in their favor for sure. Yeah, if you take that first fight kind of on the corner, the first corner that the the cart takes, then you can definitely reset when they're still in the uh, the low ground there and that that underneath the bridge area, and that's it's really hard to battle out of that one. Yeah, the biggest thing I can think of that a lot of people don't take advantage of is you know a lot of people stop on the bridge over and try to snipe in, but there are pretty heavy positional advantages to going through. There's this kind of a server room. And then you can actually get in behind the point. You'd be on high ground behind the point. And it'd be interesting to see if pro teams will execute that rotation. It's quite a long rotation, don't get me wrong. But I think it, it certainly switches the positional advantage. I don't think you can do that kind of rotation with six men. But if you weren't going to play goats into it, you might be able to pull that off running a couple of flankers behind. So maybe that opens it up to some different compositions as well. I personally can't see a team saying, hey, we're going to take all six of us up and around this long path while the cart's rolling backwards. <laughs> right, right. So, we'll And see. it's harder to to rotate your whole team now, right? Yes. So, yeah, Lucio, yeah. we're going to talk about it a little bit, but it's it's going to be a lot harder to speed boost, rotate an entire team, even if you wanted to. So, Yeah. And that makes a great segue into patch changes. Patch changes have brought about a, a wide array of changes for us. Some appear to be targeting the 3-3 meta, and others I'm not sure are going to have as much of an impact as people think. And I'm going to kick it off right away with that, which is the new hero being released and will be playable in Stage 2 for Overwatch League. Called that. Jay Will did call that. I was I was skeptical, but they got it in. His name is Baptiste. He is a support character. His primary fire is just a three-shot burst gun which hits incredibly hard on the headshots. So there's actually, if you hit a standard body shot, it's only 12.5 damage. And if you hit a headshot, it's actually 25. So they're trying to reward accuracy there. So Jonak, looking at you, bud. It was built for Jonak. <laughs> the support, yeah, the support <laughs> headshot master. And then his, uh, his alternate fire is a healing grenade, which has a three meter radius and does 60 healing. And it's pretty, pretty quick. I would say it's I mean it's not rapid fire by any stretch of the imagination. He has a his one of his uh first resources is a regenerative burst which he can use on demand and it will heal anybody who's in the radius for 30 HP per second or 150 total and that is on a 15 second cooldown. His other resource is an immortality field which spawns a small little drone that kind of floats up about maybe 5 10 yards into the air or unless it's kind of pinned under something. 
That little bot has 250 HP itself because it is killable of note. And what the immortality field will do is prevent any player within the immortality field from going below 20% health. It is a 6 meter radius and it is on a 20 second cooldown. His passive ability is Exo Boots. He can hold control, charge it up, and do kind of a, a big jump. And his ultimate move uh, is called Amplific- Amplification Matrix. I am uh, referring to it as Damage Blanket. I think that's the best way to go about this. I think it's accurate. And it provides a 100% damage boost or 100% healing boost to any projectile that passes through it. And this lasts for 8 seconds. I thought this was interesting. I didn't think about this, but it'd be it'd be cool to see it pulled off in a game. It will 100% increase the damage of Blizzard because the actual Blizzard ultimate is a projectile. So you can actually toss that through the damage blanket and it will boost the damage coming out of that. That's pretty that's, crazy for me. That's dope. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, EMP here can actually take down the damage blanket. So Hard counter. I've gotten several games in as Baptiste, and he's not the most fun character for me. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't find his heal very uh, rewarding. You just kind of throw it out there. It's actually pretty somewhat difficult to hit, which I'm sure they're relying on you using the crouch jump a lot more than I'm using it. And I'm sure the pros will use it a lot better than I do. My biggest problem with Baptiste are the, the resource cooldowns. If, so regenerative burst has a 15 second cooldown immortality field has a 20 second cooldown so for for minimally 15 seconds for maximally 35 seconds baptiste has absolutely nothing to do other than use his gun and that's to me a little bit frustrating they are really powerful resources i get it you don't want you don't want those on short cooldowns no. but there are times when i find myself as baptiste with not a whole lot to do cuz i've used my two resources and um you know i've healed up the team and if they if it's so it's just all about hitting shots with my gun which certainly plays into his his role as a quote unquote combat medic but it's it's frustrating to me and it, certainly if you get caught you know low health and you're in the middle of those cooldowns you're 100% reliant on another healer to help you uh, none of your ability your regenerative burst is the only ability that heals yourself your gun does not help you and uh, immortality field certainly can help keep you alive but you're still going to come out at 20% so i would say this about the long cooldowns it's going to force you to be extremely strategic about when you use either of those abilities. And I think that's okay because the amount of ammunition you carry on that secondary fire is actually quite a bit. So while you can't heal yourself, and yes, you are reliant on another healer, if you plugged him into a 3-3 lineup, which doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen, but if you did, you do have Lucio rolling around and you do have Zenyatta to help keep you up personally. And then let's say a diva bomb's coming, you can throw down immortality field and you probably would still have to use the trance. I'm assuming it would destroy the field and kill people within it. I don't know. I haven't tested that. I think that works. I think the cooldowns actually work. I really do because I've played him once or twice. I'm not going to play him long term. It's just not a character I'm interested in playing personally. But the amount of ammunition you carry on the secondary fire, I think, makes the cooldowns acceptable because you can heal your teammates regularly. Those other two abilities aren't that important to healing your teammates. The immortality field is huge, you know, as a skill itself. It's just not important that you would need to spam it regularly. 
Yeah, I kind of saw his role evolving as maybe a flanking healer. So someone that's going to walk with a, or move with a McCree or a Reaper into a flanking position and then pull off an ult, you know, with the with the immortality field going. I don't see him as kind of a mainline frontline healer. No, uh, I don't. You know, keeping don't the whole either. team alive or something like that. So, but if you want to, you know, like I said, move a McCree into position for a dead eye somewhere, and it's it's kind of off to the side. You know, he's certainly someone that you could either send with or has the range on his heels and enough. And you can throw the other. You know, one problem I'd also have with immortality field is that it, it's kind of there is no like placement for it. You just kind of have to guess his his throw <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Um, but you have the range certainly to to help keep a McCree or a, a Reaper alive. So that'd be that'd be interesting for some some flanking big play ultimates. It will be interesting to see how the teams decide to use him. Man, actually, the the Reaper combo is actually pretty strong there, right? You throw Immortality Field, you throw Damage Blanket in the direction of the of the enemy team, and all of his Death Blossom damage is going through that Damage Blanket. That could be pretty pretty intense. It could be pretty intense. There are some great combos that can be run with it. It's a question of our, our team's going to be willing to sacrifice what they lose from other healers or other off tanks if they decide to ran, run him. Excuse me. There is an absolute world of other changes that are coming. And, and in my opinion, I don't think Baptiste is going to kill 3-3 as, as some people are calling for him to do. I think that it's the rest of these changes that are coming. And we have about 10 minutes or so, so we're going to kind of blitz through them in a way, but there are some important ones and there may be some less important ones that are going to be happening. For me, one of the more important ones are changes coming to armor. So this was a change we talked about, shoot, early early on, that they had been looking at beam weapons not being correctly mitigated by armor, and they have fixed that now. So beam weapons are now mitigated by 20%. This is actually a little bit different from the way armor mitigates regular damage. So armor, how it works in the game on a projectile is that anything that did 10 or more damage, the armor just blocked 5. So if it did 45 damage, it blocked 5. If it did 10 damage, it blocked 5. If it did less than 10 damage, it blocked 50% of whatever it was. So if a projectile was going to hit somebody and it was going to do 8 damage, then that now only did 4. But beam damage, I've looked at this from multiple sources, is just getting straight mitigated by 20%. So (laughs) this is interesting from the perspective of Zarya was the primary DPS for most of a 3-3 composition. And at max energy, she can do 190 damage per second with her beam, which now will only be doing 152 damage per second at full charge against an armored target. So that's that's actually a pretty it's a thirty I mean obviously a thirty eight damage per second loss. If you had a maximum charge Zarya, hundred hundred energy Zarya and a Reinhardt swinging, um, you could almost get through Trance's heal per second. You'd be almost doing more damage than that. So you only needed one more character to be hitting. So, anyways, th- this definitely has a huge impact on the three three that we knew of in terms of how armored armored characters are playing into that. This also does have an impact on some other. Uh, some other people, you know, May's primary, Moira's uh, alternate fire, Winston's primary are all impacted by this. A lot of things impacted by it. I think this is fine, though. I haven't noticed in playing any real differences. I Like, I haven't noticed a huge drop-off using yeah. beams against armor, even though, I, obviously, I'm if I play Zarya, I'm not getting to 100 charge that often. I will still say when I am am at 100 charge, it still rolls through people, so I'm not worried about it. 
this is probably just a correction back to where it probably should have been. But I haven't noticed anything crazy. I think the bigger change there is the damage over time effects ignoring armor now. Right. So you may see a little more auto play. You may see a little more Hanza, Hanzo play if they decide to run DPS. May may come back into play because those damage over time ones just straight go through the armor. They don't care about it. Mm -hmm. Especially that Ana primary. That's a big one because teams will be happily run Ana for the sleep dart, the bio grenade, the nano boost. But when you factor in the fact that she can heal her teammates and then if she catches a shield down, now you're not you're going straight through armor, you know, right. forget Bridget Rally, forget all of that. It's just yeah, right. That's a yeah. base armor. Some of those kind of guys, uh, Torbjorn has base armor, stuff like that. Yeah, that's a big deal in all honesty. So we'll see how that plays out. Interestingly enough, the May Blizzard and Zarya Graviton, those are damage over time. So mm -hmm. if you grab a team now, your armor means nothing. Yeah, May's Blizzard is looking a little bit strong, right? I mean, you can. So now it completely ignores all armor and it can be boosted by 100% when it goes through a damage blanket. So I'm interested about throwing a grab through a damage blanket now. Yeah. Because if you're ignoring armor, Bridget can rally all she wants. It's going to mean nothing. Well, I mean, you're not typically relying on Graviton's damage. No, I, don't no, think no. It's, I think it only ticks for like eight per tick. So no, it's not it, like it's it going to be a minimum, massive. But that's a that's but, a big change when you're no longer fighting the armor to get some damage. It's something. Yeah, for sure. Like that changes how long it takes you to kill people within the grav. Yeah, it all adds up to that. I mean, what you're trying to get over in some cases during a grav, if you don't have the bomb available to use, you're trying to get over that 300 per second from Zenyatta. And if you can, it means a lot. You can still pick somebody out of that even in a trance. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. All right. Some of these smaller changes here, you're going to rip through a couple. Damage boost is now applied when a projectile is fired. So that means if you uh, have a mercy bo boosting you, excuse me, and you fire a bullet, then that bullet is now boosted, and then she can stop boosting you, and it will still be a boosted bullet. It's kind of a probably an odd way to explain that, but it just means that you don't have to be the 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 damage boost is applied as soon as that projectile is fired. You don't have to be boosted all the way until when it hits. Probably has a bigger impact on on characters like Farah and Junkrat. So you can throw out a Junkrat grenade while you're boosted, and it's still boosted even if Mercy has to go heal somebody. Seems like more of a correction than anything. That probably should have been what it was all along. Yeah, probably. Changes to some knockbacks. Uh, heroes that fly can now be knocked about. So, Aming, looking at you. <laughs> Wrecking Ball knocks on some Pharahs. Should be epic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Ana's Nano Boost gets a, has a heal when it first hits a player, uh, and that has been reduced by about 50. Doom I think that's Fist. reasonable. Sorry? I said, I think that's reasonable. I remember playing against some Nano Boost people, and it's just like you can't kill them. Yeah, and it's easier, I mean, obviously much easier to heal because part of Nano Boost is you get a damage reduction. And so, you know, it's easier to keep them alive. So this is this is kind of changing it from that, you know, saving you thing to more of like a, I'm going to send you in with it. Yeah, it's supposed to be an offensive ability. Yeah. And it kind of got a little too defensive. Doomfist has had his uppercut and slam cooldowns reduced from seven to six. Free um, Doomfist? Yeah, Free Doomfist. This is a change. They nerfed the ever-living junk out of Doomfist when he came out as like a super goats killer him and sombra were huge at killing three three compositions and they they kind of nerfed the crap out of Doomfist. so this is kind of i think a little bit of an apology here to Doomfist players <laughs> given his uh, his combo flows a lot better i've played it a little bit his combo just flows a lot better now hanzo's sonic arrow has been increased not a huge deal this is big 
for 3 3 killing. Junkrat's impact damage has been increased from 40 to 50. So this is the direct damage of a Junkrat grenade hitting something. Mm-hmm. Not This is not an impact on his splash damage. But a direct hit now deals 130 damage rather than 120 damage. This is huge for breaking shields, uh, eating into big high health characters with direct, you know slow movers with direct hit capability. You know your Reinhardt's, your Arissa's, your Junkrat. I'm sorry, your Roadhog. <laughs> his his bigger, lumpier half. Yes. I mean, I think this is huge for if you're trying to just tear down big health pools. This is a big part of it. I think this is a direct response to breaking Reinhardt's shield, forcing Reinhardt to make a decision: Do I leave my shield up and let it break, or do I take it down? Yeah. Um, and absorb some of that damage. The downside to that is that it will charge Zarya faster. So, you know, six one half dozen the other. Uh, I think it's more important to get the shield down. So I like this change. Obviously, I'm a Junkrat player, so I do enjoy the boost to him. He rips through shields, and if you have a Junkrat playing on your team and then they're not focusing a shield, they're doing it wrong because you can you can break an Orisa shield in the with, without reloading. Reinhardt, you can get almost completely gone uh, without reloading. Yeah. But the more you can get the shield down, the harder it is for a team to push forward freely, which is what they're doing right now when Reinhardt's just hold their shield up and walk forward. Yeah. So this is this is a big deal to to breaking those shields and forcing teams to make a decision. I think teams are going to have to be a little more strategic with using the Zarya bubble versus using the Reinhardt shield. You're really going to have to gauge that that dynamic together and try to time it to when a Junkrat is reloading. So you can push with the Reinhardt shield after taking, or you can take two hits, bring it down, put a bubble up, let the last one or two hit the Zarya bubble, and then put it back up after it's regenerated a little bit and try to walk forward while he's uh, reloading. Easier said than done because the game moves so fast. But this is, this is going to be a big change. I'm interested to see how many teams bring out Junkrat you do lose a lot of other abilities when you ring out John Rat because his sole responsibility is just to keep dishing out damage, right. especially on barriers. So it's a question of that trade-off. What Are we willing to lose this in order to get rid of this shield or not? It's going to come into play when teams trying to bunker down, though. That's for sure. Lucio is getting his ability to move the entire team reduced a little bit. So speed boost when it's amped is going from 70 to 50. His normal, if you're just using speed without it being amped, is going from 30 to 20%. Excuse me, those are percentages. Mm -hmm. But his own individual speed is being increased. That kind of balances out his own individual mobility with with nerfing team mobility a little bit. So harder to kind of rotate lengthy positional rotations. Having played with Alucio a little bit more frequently since the change, uh, and slightly before the change, I didn't do it too much, I actually didn't notice a difference. As a non-Lucio player, like I didn't notice a speed boost difference to when I was walking right. within the speed boost. So how much is that going to affect a 3-3 composition? Who really knows? It does make a difference. There's no denying that. Right. How much are teams going to feel it and be concerned about it? That's that's the real key question there. With a Lucio at max boost and with rally popping, you can offensively push directly into somebody's back line. And I think this was a hit at that. Mm-hmm. certainly was a huge impact on 3-3. You can take an entire 3-3 composition and crash into the enemy's back line really quickly. This will hopefully bring that back a little bit, reel that in a little bit. Uh, the big change to McCree for me, his fan of the hammer is losing a little damage, not a huge huge deal, but Deadeye damage per second. This was kind of complicated, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into the to, to the stats just a little bit. 
Deadeye's damage per second is being increased from 275 to 550, so it's being doubled after locking onto a target for one and a half seconds. So Deadeye is actually pretty complicated in how it calculates damage. There's like a certain period, I believe it's like 0.2 seconds, where you don't charge anything. And then from 0.2 to a full second, you're only, you do a maximum of like 80 damage. And then after that one second, you were ticking at this 275 rate for the entire, for the remainder of the, of the damage of Deadeye. Now, after one and a half seconds, you're now ticking at 550 damage per second. The other thing that I didn't know about Deadeye is that the damage doesn't just stop when a player is killed. And what that meant is when you see the skull pop up, it doesn't mean that he's not still charging damage. He's actually still charging damage. And what this increase to 550 has done is made it so that he can actually kill people through shields because Deadeye is actually doing enough damage to both break the shield and still kill the character behind it. So these are actually pretty intense changes. Again, like I was talking about with maybe a Baptiste in an immortality field because it takes a lot of coordination to pull off a successful Deadeye. I just I think this really puts tanks and, and even some shield compositions at risk to getting killed by one ultimate count me on the other side of this i don't think this matters yes it's a huge damage increase and it puts it in line with the lower health pool characters i don't think teams you just don't have enough time to get a mccree all that far it's along. a lot <laughs> it takes you really don't it takes a village to do a successful dead eye <laughs> right and as soon as people hear it they just run inside a building so it, dead eye is one of the i'll say it, it's one of the worst alts to me it takes too long to get away you have to have people out in the open. It's too easy to avoid. It just, I I don't see this mattering all that much. Most teams don't even bother worrying about Deadeye. They use it as a zoning tactic because as soon as you hear it, people just run and hide. So you use that to open up some space for your team. You get no kills, but at least you created that space. Yeah. I don't think this matters, but so much. You may It may make it so you can pick off somebody a little quicker if you do happen to catch them out in the open. So, you know, somebody can't get away as you're waiting for that last little bit of damage to get up there so you can get the kill. But in, in the end, I'm not overly concerned about it. All right, we're coming up the clock on these cha- against the clock on these changes, so I'm going to kind of blitz through some of these. Some of them are not gigantic changes. One that I've really felt personally, Arissa, uh, when she's firing, has had her move speed penalty reduced from 50 to 30%. They're trying to encourage her to be a little bit more offensive rather than just to sit in the corner with your shield up tank. And I've actually felt that. If you play Orissa and you're shooting, you definitely still have some movement. And it's it's a big difference, actually. I haven't played her since that change. I haven't noticed it, though. Honestly, if she puts a shield up, it's still bunker down behind it. Because the, the problem is the shield doesn't move with you. So you can move faster all you want. It doesn't move with you. So it makes it still still very tough to be offensive with her. I I think they're trying to encourage you to move with your team and Which be able to actually and be able to actually like you know push your shields up rather than kind of playing back a little bit. Which is what I think teams should do more of if they're running Arissa. I actually get frustrated when Arissa's just stay there the whole time. Like we need you to actually push forward with your shield so we can push forward. So I I understand the thought behind it. Definitely the right move. I just haven't noticed it make that big of a difference. We had the makeup call for Reaper. We done went too far. Yeah, you did. The pass interference was too much. <laughs> <laughs> so the makeup call is a nerf back down to 40% on the reaping. So reaping went up to fit from 30 to 50 and it's now back down to 40. Uh, totally worthwhile change. I could absolutely face tank or Reinhardt in, you know, quick play competitive matches. So he, 
that was too much. <laughs> it was way too much. I found myself able to better kill Reaper, even though he has the heal going on. As long as obviously he's not going into Wraith form, you can yeah. still kill him. Um, you can go one on one, and it's who lands more shots. It's not okay. He he landed two shots. I'm screwed. I got to run. Sombra's hack has been reduced by half when you're hacking a health pack. This is big news. Hacks had a pretty long cooldown, so Sombra actually had a lot of downtime if she was trying to both help her team with health packs and also get hacks. So this is actually, for me, kind of big. She's going to have a lot less downtime going on. You're going to see a lot more health packs hacked, that's for sure, especially the starter maps. So, um, I hate this change mostly because I hate Symmetra with a fiery passion, but her primary fire ramps up 20% faster. Boo. She's so lame. It's just a lame hero. <laughs> lame hero. Let's see, some other big ones. Oh, Wrecking Ball. Amang, this looking at you again. <laughs> uh, Wrecking Ball can use his shields when he's in roll mode now. So his mobility is uh -huh. not sacrificed when he wants to get a little bit of HP back. I like that. It's cool, I guess. You just you have to have a, some sort of stun or you have to use a Samurai hack on him to, to stop him when he gets into rolling. Right. Especially when he latches on and just goes round and round. It's actually really difficult to kill him. Maybe a little May. Just throw up the wall. You need a May, you need a Junkrat, you need a Flashbang. You have to have something. A, um, a Bridget will do the trick, but you, you have to stun him out of that and stop him, and then you have to kill him when he's stunned. Otherwise, he just does it again. It's just it's irritating. Great for stallouts and great for right. overtimes. <laughs> Not great when you're like, I don't need you to do this for me. I'm playing. Get this ball off the point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the last, and I think, you know, other big attack on the, the default 3-3 composition is Zenyatta. So he's super critical to a team without a lot of DPS because he has the Orb of Discord, which will boost your DPS by 30%. But not any longer. Orb of Discord is being reduced from a 30% buff to a 25% buff to damage to that target. To compensate Zenyatta a little bit, they've actually buffed his, his shots from 46 to 48. So they still wanted him to feel effective, but they didn't want him to have as much impact on the entire team. What they wanted was they wanted to say, okay, we want to nerf Jonak without nerfing Jonak. <laughs> I think this is technically a buff to Jonak in a way. It is. Now his headshots will do yeah. that much more. Right. It just it means you're not going to be able to do as much for your team in, so, right. in terms of boosting their damage. Perfectly honest, the Discord Orb still makes a, a big difference when you're trying to dish yeah. out damage. So 30 to 25% is a difference. You're not going to be suffering because of it, though. There are some other changes that we skipped over. I encourage you to look at the patch notes, but I think they're I think those we covered the ones that are attacking the three three and and having a big impact on characters that we've been seeing a lot of. And that means that this episode is coming to a close. You should definitely stay tuned. Coming up, we have our stage two week one preview. That's right, Jay. Well, we are playing Overwatch League again. I'm oh man, it's back already. It's back. It's back. <laughs> Let's do it. So excited. So we're going to take a look at how we think this is all going to change the meta. We are going to take a look at the matches and give you our picks. And we also have reworked our power ranks for Stage 2 to get them off for the initial power ranks. There's some big movers in there. I was looking. If you enjoy what you heard today, you should absolutely subscribe to us on Spotify, through Apple Podcasts, or on Google Play. You should definitely connect with us on Twitter. I am... I'm pretty in on the Twitter. <laughs> I've got you hooked, us. man. I got you hooked. <laughs> um, we, we, we live tweet the games pretty hardcore. I would say we need to work on our in-between game, uh, Twitter game. 
but we're getting there we're getting there i love to see you guys' reactions liking us retweeting us um it, it it means a lot you should come say hi if you started following us and at least just let us give us a heads up we'll shout you out i promise you can connect directly with brian at jwill2287 on twitter did i actually give out our twitter handle no you did not fail epic fail <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BreakItDownOWL. You can always email us, BreakItDownOWL at gmail.com. I'm getting excited. Stage two is coming. We are going to see some different compositions, and I'm pumped. I hope you guys are ready for it as well. Time to bring out more cheese.